Hello, everyone. I'm Tim Muma. Thanks for checking out localjobnetwork.com radio. You've tuned into Employment Notebook, where we speak with expert guests on topics that may arise in the workplace, and we look to help you recognize and work with them. Now, one increasingly prominent area is the personalities and cultures, especially, of individuals that maybe don't necessarily mesh or we just don't recognize what's going on in the workplace. And when these different cultures meet, there might be a misunderstanding that cause unnecessary issues or concerns. Dr. Laura Hills is the president at Blue Pencil Institute, and she is bringing with her today some great experience to help us talk through the ideas of culture and communication and really having a better understanding of it all. Thanks for coming on the show today, Laura. I'm so glad to be here, Tim. Thanks for inviting me. Now, you know, we talked before the show a little bit here, and I, I, it was a very interesting story that you had posted on LinkedIn, um, just talking about culture and misunderstandings and really understanding what's going on in the workplace. You know, maybe fill the listeners in quickly on that story that you shared in that post. Oh, I'd love to. Some time ago, I consulted with a dental practice, and in interviewing the staff and patients, I uncovered a problem. They had a young woman who was serving as their front desk receptionist named Karina, and a number of people told me that they thought that she behaved rudely, Mm. though they were very nonspecific about what her behavior was. So I decided to investigate this myself. I went to the office, I walked up to her, I introduced myself, and I noticed immediately that she lowered her eyes to the papers in front of her and spoke very softly to me. And she was a very young woman. She was probably, uh, I thought, 20. Turns out she was 19. Okay. I asked if I could speak with her. And uh, what I discovered was that when asking her if she realized that she was doing these things, lowering her eyes, speaking very softly, if she realized that she was doing them, she said, yes, she was very proud of that. You see, she had just come to Virginia from Puerto Rico. Oh, okay. So in Puerto Rico, that was an appropriate behavior because at the age of 19, Karina would lower her eyes and speak very softly to her elders. And of course, I was her elder, as was almost everyone in that practice. That was what people were perceiving as rudeness. Sure. Because in in Puerto Rico, though it's polite there, To have a receptionist avert her eyes and mumble, basically, very softly would not be considered a warm greeting that you would want in a dental office. Mm -hmm. So by working with her and with her boss and with the other people she worked with, we helped her to learn different ways of greeting people that would be more accepted in a Virginia dental practice that were comfortable for her. And we got to understand as a group that her behavior was not intended to be rude. In fact, she was mortified that she had come <laughs> off as rude. It was her, her biggest fear right. was to offend someone. Right. And, you know, and that's why I thought it was so fascinating, just that whole aspect of it is her intentions were one thing she didn't know in this case that she was doing the exact opposite, like you said. Now, when something like that happens, where do you start with that? I mean, how does the employer recognize that? Can a manager somehow be in tune with that? Where do you start? I feel like that could be a difficult area to pick up on. It is. When you see tension between employees, and there was some in this office, okay. no one really wanted to deal with her. They didn't want to eat lunch with her. They mm. shunned her a bit because they thought she was being rude to them. Right. When you see this, it's important to step in and ask questions and not assume that you know what you're looking at, because the assumption is where the problem is. 
we assume because we're looking at the world through our lens of our culture. We know that one. We may not know that there are other ways that people do things. So if you're seeing tension, and even if it's not a cultural issue, but especially if it is, the best place to begin is with questions. And open-ended ones, not, uh, not accusatory, ask, did you know that you do this? Tell me, what, tell me about that. Why do, you, why do you do it this way? And getting people to start to talk. We've talked a little bit about this, Tim, but I've, I've had an opportunity to work in an atmosphere where I was one of very few American people. I, I taught at an international university and was an administrator where the vast majority of my colleagues and my students were from other places around the world. Mm-hmm. And I witnessed these kinds of problems all the time. The key is to stop people from digging in and getting mad and mouthing off and making assumptions, but get to the heart of what the problem is. And very often there's pain involved. Mm. Somebody feels offended, hurt, they feel they've been shunned, they feel that they've been insulted. And so getting them to talk about that and get to the root, because what I have found on almost every case is that is not the intention. Right. Again, I find this extremely intriguing. You're right. There are so many things that, uh, you know, we just don't understand or know. If we go to a different culture or somebody from another country comes here, it might be a a phrase. It might be a a gesture of some sort. Sometimes you hear those things online and think it's a joke, but it really does happen. Do you see this as being a more common occurrence in terms of these cultural misunderstandings within the workplace? Have you seen more of it, heard more of it? What's been your experience? Yes, I I think it is because I, well, I live in the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, one of the most diverse places you can ever visit. And so we have people from many different cultures who are told to play nicely in the sandbox. (laughs) And it doesn't always work out that what one culture does is the same in another. I I can give you an example. I was um, going back to my experience at the university. We had a Secret Santa program one Christmas time. Okay. We, we, all drew, we all drew names of a colleague, and we were going to give them a gift at our party of $15 or less. I drew the name of a young woman who, a very, very nice colleague of mine at the university who was from Mongolia, and she was expecting her first child. I said, great, I'll get her something for the baby. And so I bought a beautiful baby bath set. It was a hooded bath towel, a washcloth, little toy, a rubber duck, and some baby wash, and it was all packaged beautifully. And when we all opened our gifts, she came to mine and opened it, and I could see that I had made a terrible mistake. (laughs) The look on her face was one of fright more than anything else. She wrapped it back in the paper and just put it beside her and said nothing. Hmm. You see, in the United States, we give gifts to expectant women. In fact, we hold a baby shower for that very purpose. And we give the mother-to-be all the little things like that that you would need to care for a baby. But in her culture, this was a bad luck type of behavior. Interesting. It's, It's interesting to me. Yeah, it is. Because in that culture, at least for her, her feeling was that you don't count your chickens before they hatch. You're inviting negative, evil, bad things that could happen. Okay. And so giving a gift to an expectant mother for the care of the baby was considered bad luck. And I did have to dig deep to find out what had happened there because she was very reluctant to tell me that for fear of hurting. She knew that I hadn't intended it that way. Right. She knew enough about America to know that we do give gifts to expectant mothers. But you see, I didn't know that about her. And there was no taking it back, really. 
by then the damage had been done as far as the bad luck. Sure. I offered to take the gift back, um, <laughs> and and she she didn't want to do that either. And so I learned a lesson the very hard way by hurting somebody who I, <laughs> of all things, did not want to hurt. We are all in a process of learning when we are interacting with people from other viewpoints and other traditions and other beliefs. And so I put my foot in it big time there. Well, and I think that brings up an interesting question because are employers really in a an okay position here? Are, are they set up to handle this type of situation that might arise? Because there's a lot of sensitivity, of course, of we don't want to discriminate against anyone from another country. So we might be afraid to ask a question that might arise or we're not sure where that boundary might be. We talked before the show that where culture and religion might, you know, someone's beliefs might kind of intertwine mm-hmm. a little bit and where that comes into play. So how do we help the employers out there who right now might be thinking, oh, is that going on in my office? Is, is that something that I've overlooked before that tension might arise, like you said, that would be able to help them recognize it? The key, Tim, I think has to be that you have to create an environment of trust. You're right. It can be jarring to people to be asked a question that may be sensitive to them. So it has to be that you've already established a trusting environment where these kinds of conversations can occur. So you don't want to startle people or Mm -hmm. seem accusatory and try to get at the heart of it. I have done that and I find you sometimes have to bring people one-on-one. Okay. And and they don't want to discuss it openly sometimes. I've I've had that situation. And you do your best. You you create a culture, if you will, within your workplace mm-hmm. that honors all of these differences and enc- encourages dialogue. That's really the key. You can't enforce it. You can't make everybody share who they are and what they are. And, and there's so much to a culture. You can't just read a laundry list of what to do and what not to do. You have to really get into it with people and, and be sensitive. So as the supervisor, if you have de- direct reports, beginning this kind of conversation can be helpful. Just talking about it, talking about cultural differences, sharing culture in a positive way, making that part of what you do, having a potluck and asking people to bring dishes from, from their families that sure. they like to eat, and encouraging people to embrace the differences if you will, and learn about one another. You can't certainly come in like a bull in a china shop and solve the whole problem. Right. Now, one of the aspects to this that I'm sure some listeners might be thinking about already, if we go back to the story about Karina, um, and you had mentioned off the air uh, some of the comments maybe referring to this as well, but Karina obviously was coming in with her own culture, so to speak, her own way of working, her own way of dealing with people, and she saw it as being respectful. Of course, as you mentioned, in Virginia and in most places in America, it's quite the opposite when you're talking about being in the position she was in. Where is that balance or where do you stand as far as who's making those little adjustments for whom or, or when that should be made? Because sometimes, again, I can see people from both sides are going to have their arguments. You're never going to appease everybody. But, mm-hmm. but where do you stand as far as being able to work with those behaviors and how something might be expected? I would say that whenever you are going to go into a place of work as an employee, then you must learn how to do that job in that place. Mm-hmm. So if I were to go to another country and, and try to find a job there, I would need to understand how business is conducted in that workplace, in that environment, in that culture. That being said, there are certain things about each individual that you, you may not be able to ask them to change. And that has to be negotiated in the workplace. What I'm talking about here is, um, for example, I worked with a man 
who would not shake hands with a woman because in his culture or his beliefs, this was not an appropriate thing to do. Hmm. And so he would not physically touch a woman sure. in the workplace. And so this had to be explained and negotiated and so forth. It wasn't a deal breaker, but certainly it needed an explanation. And likewise, you might have people who dress in particular ways because it's part of their culture to do so. And you have to respect that. But again, it has to be an appropriate thing for the job being done. If it's unsafe, for instance, to wear lots of fabric around certain equipment, you know, this is an issue that has to be negotiated. But for the most part, what you're asking people to do is to learn the culture they're going into and adapt to it as much as they can within their belief system. I think that makes a ton of sense. You know, obviously, again, you're going to have critics, you're going to have detractors with that. And um, each situation is going to be different. Of course, we're speaking in generalities here, which is always difficult. And I appreciate Mm -hmm. you've brought up a couple of specific examples to hopefully help the listeners a little bit when it comes to that. Now, for the employers, maybe they're going to go through this type of process. Like with Karina, obviously, you were able to to help in that way to um, really resolve what might have become an issue or a greater one at some point. Is it important for employers to be documenting anything they're doing when it comes to this, when it's some sort of, you know, again, if you want to phrase it, negotiation or some sort of communication to help that employee understand this is how things need to be done when we're working in this capacity. Obviously, this is where you're fine as far as what you're doing. How do you lay that all out and make sure that everything is sort of put into place and understood? Because sometimes, of course, you know, he said, she said will pop up. Right. And I think you're, bring, you're bringing up the question, and it's a good one to ask him about documentation. Why would we document? Well, there are several reasons. One would be for clarity, that we know we're agreeing on paper what was said, because something said verbally could be, or orally could be misinterpreted. Mm-hmm. On paper, it's a lot clearer, and you can come to a better agreement about the message that's being put forward. The other is, and let's be honest, you need the documentation if you think ultimately that you need to build a case for terminating the employee mm-hmm. if it's a deal breaker. If you have a receptionist who is being perceived as, as rude and will not change her behavior, I don't think that's going to work, do you? <laughs> you wanna, <laughs> would you want to turn people off every time they walk up to the desk? No. So you need to start documenting and, and saying in very specific terms what you're observing and what needs to change and create that documentation so that you have a process for terminating someone who can't or won't be appropriate for the job that you have that you have in your in your organization. It sounds like when you're talking about documenting that it's an important step in general, just as a rule, because as you brought up there, maybe when you're writing it down, maybe you start to recognize, oh, this is what she's doing. Now we can ask specifically. Because like mm-hmm. you said with the example with Karina, everyone was kind of like, oh, well, she seems kind of rude, but nobody really knew Exactly. How or why? So I think I think and that's wasn't a great that point. interesting? That was interesting to me, Tim, because really, what you need to be is a bit of an I'd, I'd say um, an observer, an ethnographer. You're distancing yourself, and you're just saying, "This is what I see." Right. I didn't go to Karina and say, "Did you know you were being rude?" <laughs> I said, "Did you know that when I spoke to you, that you lowered your eyes and you spoke so softly, I could barely hear you?" Right. Yes, because yeah. it's hard to say, "No, you didn't see that." No, I noticed is one of the most powerful things you can say as a supervisor. I noticed. I noticed that when I said this, you turned your eyes this way, hunched your shoulders, your jaw tightened. It's very hard for people to refute what you saw. Sure. And it's not a loaded thing. You just say, I noticed this. Tell me about it. 
And that opens dialogue rather than labeling something as rude, insulting. These are charged words with value in them. So you're very much on safe ground when dealing with any of these issues related to cultural differences, just saying, I noticed, and explaining without any value or any tone in your voice that indicates any disapproval what you observed. I think that's a a wonderful tip for our listeners, uh, really a nice piece to take away from this conversation because I think, uh, to your point there, I think that will help a lot of the misunderstandings, at least off the front end. And of course, there's some more work to be done there. I do want to give you the floor here at the end. I think it's been a, a fascinating conversation. I appreciate you coming on. Just give you the opportunity to lay out any last points, anything you want to emphasize, anything we didn't touch on that might be important to mention as we wrap up the show today. I would say, Tim, that as our world continues to become smaller and smaller, we're going to meet people from different places and different values, and that we have a lens that we look at the world through. This is the one point I would like to drive home. We're not even aware that that's how we see the world. And it's more than a cultural lens. It's a gender lens. It's a generational lens. It's a national lens. We have sometimes a political lens. And we look at the world through that lens, and that's what we see. When we make that obvious to ourselves and say, oh, this is what I'm doing. I'm looking at it through my little lens then we can stop the value judgments and start listening to one another. I think that is a perfect place for us to wrap up here, this episode of Employment Notebook. Again, we hope you can take away some of these points and tips and really just observations a lot we're talking about here in terms of culture differences. And it might be, as Laura brought up here, it might be any sort of difference that we are looking through. Once again, our guest today has been Dr. Laura Hills, the president at Blue Pencil Institute. Laura, appreciate you coming on talking about this. I think it's a very interesting, important topic. So thank you for coming on the show. Oh, it's been my pleasure, Tim. And as always, we'd love to hear from you, the listener. If you want to send us some suggestions or feedback, just email us at ljnradio at localjobnetwork.com. You can also find us on Twitter, connect with us at the LJN. You can also use hashtag LJNRadio to get more involved in the conversation. Once again, I'm your host, Tim Muma. Take care, everybody.